And we're back, Stripe Show Podcast, on a Monday. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day back in the saddle out on the West Coast last week in Palm Springs. Someone had to do it. 75 degrees. My goodness. Beautiful place. Is uh, PGA West, a guy that was out there as well. He lives on the West Coast. And I've been trying to get him on. My uh, old buddy back from... The Golf Channel days, absolutely killing it with his new business venture, the Fire Pit Collective. One and only Matt Janella. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, buddy, and great, great to see you. Great to be on with you. I appreciate this. I was almost certain you would come on with your San Francisco 49er hat on and rub it in. Um, as of course, we've always had a fun banter back and forth. Me being the, the Seahawk fan, Matt being a 49er fan, and what a win! My goodness, let me just. Let me just go ahead and get this out of the way. Congratulations to the 49ers. I mean, like the 49ers against Aaron Rodgers is a tough one for me. Like I, I it's hard to cheer for either one of those for me, <laughs> but deep down, and I would never tell anybody this except you right here on my podcast. I was happy to see the 49ers. Win. All right, go ahead. Well, I mean, on behalf of the NFC, how how good is the NFC West, by the way? Oh, my gosh. Look look what's happening. You know, it, it all plays out. But the NFC East, obviously, the, <laughs> the bubble has been bursted there. You know, the and, you know, I think that 49, you know, as as you know, as anybody knows who follows the NFL, getting hot late, just getting into getting into the party, getting into the dance and then getting hot, getting healthy. Um, and having a coach like Kyle Shanahan and obviously everybody buying into a philosophy and, and, a and a teamwork making the dream work kind of mentality with skill sets like Debo and yeah. Osa and Kittle and, you know, Elijah Mitchell got sort of no play last week, but that, that kid ran hard. That kid ran hard every day. And then special teams doing what they did for to have no offensive touchdowns and be down seven nothing in Green Bay and to win that game mm-hmm. against Aaron Rodgers, yeah. who, you know, clearly is in top form with Devontae Adams, who looked unguardable. Mm-hmm. I, I still don't I still can't believe it's real. Yeah, I mean, you get the you just hang tough. I mean, I, you know, 49ers are physical. And you came in, you hung around, you got the big block, tied it up. And Jimmy G does just enough. You know, he's, he is like watching a car just like veer off the side of the road. Oh my God, no, no. And then he comes back into the, and it's like, no, 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 but it over. It's maddening, right? I can't even imagine. And then, but yet, but yet he, he, he makes that beautiful little sidearm pass and he does just enough. And and in here you are. You got to you got to tip your cap to some degree to him. But overall, yeah, you're right. I mean, Kyle Shanahan's a good coach. He's finding his way, and um, it's going to be a good one. The, the NFC West is is an absolute powerhouse. Keep in mind, the Seahawks beat the 49ers twice this year. Just we'll just go ahead and get that out of the way. Why would we keep that in mind? <laughs> <laughs> just to, just to prove how tough the NFC West was. I know lost to. No, you know you realize you realize if Russ would have been healthy the entire year, all four teams would have made the playoffs. You realize that. Yeah, I know. I understand. I, I, I get it. I mean, Trent Dilfer won a, won a Super Bowl. I always come back to that. Cause if you look at the court, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, and J- Jimmy G are, are the four quarterbacks left standing. Yeah. And if you rank those, 
There's nobody who's putting Jimmy G anywhere other than fourth on that list. The gimme Bosa and Armstead, man, coming off that edge. My God, they just disrupt everything. But then you then you factor in defense and yeah. skill positions yeah. and coaching and you know team mentality. And I wouldn't want to play the Niners. I mean, no. you know, obviously nobody nobody wants to play them. I mean, and in LA, they're doing everything they can to prevent this from being a true home <laughs> game for the Niners. His wife was still bitter about a couple of weeks ago. The Niners have gone into LA, into Dallas, into Green Bay. Yeah. Win, win, win. Yeah. All right, let's get some golf. I got there's a lot of things I want to get to here with you. We just keep talking about this. No. <laughs> a lot of things I want to get to here um, with you, including one of your your new topics that uh, your new projects. You got a lot of shit going on and following you, and you got a great team and this show called The Grind. We're going to get to it here in, in, in a minute. But I just want to, you know, it's funny. I'm 44. I'm a golf teacher by trade. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to do about five years down a golf channel, like two days a week. Of course, you were there full time and you were very much part of the fabric of the show. You did morning drive. You did all your traveling shows. You were you did some live froms. I mean, you did a lot, right? You were the full time Matt G. And I was just down there like one or two days a week doing my pieces. But I look back at that time and I spent a significant amount of time in there with you and that whole crew of. Damon Hack and Lauren Thompson and all of them. Um, Tim Rosefor, who I know you're very close with, just passed away. And I was fortunate enough to work with some with him. And we know how just incredibly terrific he was. Um, the best. But I, I look back at those times, Matt, and I'm like, I find myself, I miss those times. You know, like I miss, I don't miss getting up at 3.30 in the morning. But I miss going in and everyone just like we, everyone generally liked each other. It was, it was fun. Like, you know, it was like, there was a true family fun atmosphere. It had to be at 4 a.m. But I, but, but what I missed the most, Matt, is when the red light went on and the live television and that adrenaline that goes right through your body. I like, man, there's nothing like it. That portal is an incredible, incredible thing. Well summarized on all fronts, but I mean, um, and we were just talking about a team mentality and how, how cool it is when you're a part of, a, when people buy into one common effort, you know, and, yeah. uh, and, and morning drive. And there was different sub dynamics within sort of the morning drive because it was seven days a week. And then there were, sort of little subplots amongst, you know, so if you had a Tuesday, Wednesday group was different than the sort of the Thursday through Monday group, but there was overlap. And then there would be opportunities to pop in on that and different, you know, if you were on a weekend that had a different energy than if you were on during, you know, the beginning of the week. And then if you were on a live, live from situation or on the road, that was always different than being in studio. And, but the, I always, yes, I, I miss it too. I miss that camaraderie. Mm-hmm. I, I miss the, uh, the buzz that, that, that energy that comes from live television, um, and looking around and, you know, knowing that you're, you're literally, I, you know, and for me having my parents be on the West coast and me being on the East coast and then being able to watch me or my family being able to watch me or no having a young you know kids as you know and them being able to watch you 
on TV. That mattered. Yeah. That meant something. That was that was a real thing. So yeah, miss miss it. But um, I, I I'm appreciative. I, I appreciate that opportunity. What an incredible opportunity mm. uh, to be a part of something like that. And I really, we obviously had great chemistry in terms of. I loved being, I felt comfortable with you. We did do quite a few segments mm-hmm. together or we were on at the same time or, you know, I remember you and Billy Harmon talk about chemistry. I, I, I miss watching you guys on the range doing some of what you guys were doing and the back and forth there. Like I, I loved that. Yeah. I loved what you guys were doing. I thought that was, that was a huge hit and miss when you were on and then not on anymore. Like I was like, Oh man, that's a bummer. That's really oh. cool. That was a cool energy yeah. information chemistry. And he, you know, as well as anybody, chemistry is something real mm-hmm. as it relates to TV. Think about going back to the days in sports center. Mm. And when we really counted on that show to get our sports news. And when those anchors had chemistry, it was so much more of a fun watch. If you watch anything on TV and the people have chemistry, you want to, it was like, Oh, I want to, I want to ch- be a part of that. Well, yeah, you were all, you're a great teammate and, and um, because you've got great energy, you bring, you don't have to dominate you. You're very willing to beta, but you have great information. And when it's your turn, you, you have an authoritative tone, it, you know, all of that matters. And yeah. it still does to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Getting in and out live television, man, it teaches you. Uh, a lot of different things there. And, and I can remember one of my first shows that I did uh, coming in. I can't remember. I mean, 2000, I think it was 2014 is when Billy Harmon and I did on the range. And at the time having a camera on the range was a new concept. They're like, okay, we're gonna have a camera on the range and then we're going to bring video back and you guys are going to talk about it and debate it. And okay, cool. And that was a show (laughs) every Wednesday night. That's what we did. And then that concept just kind of dissolved into every program. Now you watch every program. They just sit on the range with the camera and guys talk over it. Right. Like that. But it started with Billy and Harmon and I did that for about a year and a half. And then I moved over to morning drive. And that's when I started working with you and Damon and, and man, what a great time that was. Cause I think we just won the super bowl. Yeah, we did. We won the super. Anyway. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so yeah. Um, so one of my first shows, I remember I'm over there and I'm standing on the set and I'm getting ready and I can't remember who's standing next to me and they're going to host it. I think it was Kelly Tillman. She's standing next to me and she's going to host it and she, and then she's going to lob it to me. Right. And they're like, all right, we're coming back to you guys in like 10 seconds. And Matt's standing off on the distance and he looks over at me and he says, Hey, Fulton, don't F this up and flips me off. I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember it. I do remember <laughs> watching a lot of people come on, you know, being on set and then you're off to the side and it's always like, okay, it's not, you know, it's like you're, you're not, it's not your turn at bat. Right. So you're in the dugout kind of a thing. Yeah. And I wa- I would watch a lot of people come on set and be nervous or look tight or, you know, and you knew they had the great info. Yeah. I mean, even going back to Rosa Ford, I would, I would do things to try to loosen him up because <laughs> You know, you can get in your own head. I needed it too. And Charlie Reimer did it for me or, or any number of people would do it for me where, you know, just break the, 
just get people out of their own head and just get them to laugh or relax. Or, and so I would do that to a lot of people. I'd be like, Hey, Oh, great. You're on the show today. Yeah. Don't fuck it up. You know, I mean, just, uh, you know, or, or do anything to make them laugh or. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's, it's, it was, it worked. I mean, I was like, did that really just happen? Yeah. And, you know, but you kind of like, you let your mind just, just, well, that was, that was funny. And you're laughing, you're coming on and then off you go. Yeah, it was, it was good. I, I tell that story. It was, it was well done and, and, uh, and well received. I'm pretty sure you did that to me. Like, like a dozen times where you just like flip me off all the time before, before I went on. But anyway, those were, those were the days and you know, you move on and you start your own venture. Like you've done uh, the fire pit collective, which is, has done uh, very well. You've assembled a great team and um, you know, you got a lot of cool stuff going. And before we get to the grind, I want to, I want to ask you as you transition back to the West coast. And when you were here, you started something, you know, the winter park nine there in winter park, really cool little nine hole course. Um, and then as you moved to the West coast, you went to goat Hill park and you brought a lot of the things that you were kind of starting there at winter park with the skins game, some of the initiatives, and then you moved it out there and give our, give the audience a sense here, Matt, of, of, some of the things that that you've taken out there with with the skins game, some of the other initiatives that are happening right now around Goat Hill Park and why they're important to the sport right now. Well, so to go to go back even before really getting involved in Winter Park Nine, because I came down in in 2012, 2013, at the end of 2012 and 2013. And um, we had some of my friends who were already working at golf channel lived in winter park. So, um, the, my first place I rented my first year there was, was a walk away from the winter park nine. But I mean, what I, what, what I would go and occasionally play back then was, um, was horrible. It mm. was, uh, it was in horrible shape. The agronomy had, had was years and years and years past due for a, a revamp. And, a, you know, when it would rain, which it rains in Florida on a regular basis, you know, that ninth hole was a lake. Mm. There was no drainage. This is a sand-based golf course that had zero drainage. Why? Mm. The thatching of that grass, you know, what Keith Reb and Riley Johns will tell you after they really started digging it around and getting involved in, in the redo there, the thatching was, was so thick that there was, the grass was so choked. There would be no drainage. Mm. Crazy. Right. Mm. So, um, that I, 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 but, but, and yet I still loved it. It was mm -hmm. still like, wow, this is crazy. You can play right through town, cross the street six times, you know, uh, it was affordable, walkable, you know, it was a short narrative. And it actually, in a way, that's where the game was going already. Uh, you know, Band and Preserve uh, opened in 2012, you know, 13-hole, par three course. Mike Kaiser was already identifying the fact that his clientele needed something other than, you know, uh, uh, 36 holes a day for four or five days at Band and Dunes. It, you know, you could play 36 a day for two days or three days. You know, his clientele, again, the baby boomers. But... Mm -hmm. had to have an alternative form of golf. So um, 
there, you know, I remember three tops of treetops. I remember, oh, that was a cool concept. And and then um, Big Cedar Lodge came online. And then eventually that golf course got incorporated into competitive golf. So the trends and the kind of this thing was happening already. And then some locals at WP9 approached me about, hey, this golf course is coming up on 100 years. We, we see that it's obviously underachieving. It's been mismanaged. Uh, it's a municipal and the city is interested in kind of hearing ideas. Mayor Steve, Steve Leary at the time, thank God for him, because here's a politician who was willing to listen, was willing, you know, yes, he's plays golf, but he's not a golfer. Uh, but what his, his mandate is sort of his pushback to the locals was, all right, give me, give me hard and fast, like, uh, plans, uh, options, Tell me what it would cost and then what what I'd get out of what I would invest back into this into this piece of land or the asset within my own, you know, within the city structure. Mm-hmm. Let's see what we can do. And that started the conversation. And I brought that's when I got brought in, which Matt Haggerty and, and another couple locals sat me down at a breakfast one morning and said, what would you do given all that you've seen out there in the world? And who you know, and I just got back from Cabot. I had met, you know, I'd been out there with Bill and Ben. I'd met Keith Reb and Riley Johns, but Keith Reb in particular, because he lived on the outskirts of Orlando. This was the guy in the tractor, you know, <clears throat> obviously a young up and comer, a young talent um, who was in the dirt. This is a guy who does the work. And I said, oh, you know, and they were saying, oh, we're thinking Nick Faldo. I'm like, Nick Faldo, Jesus, oh, my God. You know, he lives in Orlando. And, yes, I mean, he's a big name, but he does not, he's not an architect. No. And the only courses I've seen of him are, uh, you know, uh, a rock, the rock in Toronto. My God, it's just, it is outrageous. I'm like, he's going to overcharge, underdeliver. He's not going to be in the dirt. You're going to be beholden to his guy. Steve Smyers had done, you know, interlocking. Uh, um and oh my god i mean yeah mess and i'm like no stop hold on keith reb lives in orlando let me talk to bill core let me see if this is something i went i back up to cabot talked to bill core said do you think keith could potentially do something like this oh it's all about timing well sure enough it worked you know, RFP went out and they, and, you know, and then through that, that re- renaissance and revitalization of that property, Keith Red said, the first thing I'll do is bring in Riley. Boom. Now these guys are off and running. Mm-hmm. They get the job. And at 1.2 million, they take something that's losing 250 grand and revitalize that and turn it into a moneymaker. And not to mention a moneymaker for that specific unit, but the property values around there, the, the energy, the enthusiasm, the camaraderie, the community connection point. This starts, this is a ripple effect. You know, I had, we had had baby band and now we, we end up coming back living in winter park. You know, Matt Haggerty lives in winter park people, you know, the, Jeff Russell, Molly Solomon, Damon Hack live in Gary Williams. Like this became now a place where we could call our own a yeah. place to play for 20, 25 bucks. You know, what 18 bucks play nine holes, get done in an hour and a half. And my buddy, Ben Van Hook, who I think, you know, but is a, a local based photographer I worked with for 25 years at Sports Associated, had a Friday game 
a foursome. And he kept saying, you want to play, you want to play. Say, oh, I got, I got me, but I got a couple other guys. Maybe we'd make two foursomes. Maybe we make, let's make a little skins game where we open it up in social media. And if one thing led to the other, and then that became the Friday skins game. That's still going on to this day. I left well over a year ago. Ashton Nix and the boys are still, still running it. And it's, what does that mean? It's just nothing other than a place where a, a time and a place uh, where people can count on being able to go and gather, feel welcome, feel part of something. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, look at the cheers. The whole show is built on, you know, uh, sometimes you want to go where uh, to a place where everybody knows your name. I mean, it, we're not, this isn't brain surgery here. No, but well, it's funny. There's a lot there. And I, you know, I grew up on a nine hole course up in Northern Idaho yeah, outside of Coeur d'Alene, little town called towns, Pinehurst, which is right outside of Kellogg. I mean, Pinehurst has 1800 people in it and we have a little nine hole course and it sits on a rock bed. It's hard to grow grass on it and they do the best they can limited budget. But I think back to everything that you're saying and all of the extra work that the members did to this course, just to get it, to where it was right to where it could be because of the limited budget. I mean, you had to have people come out and donate their time. And just the fact that that was open in my youth and it still is, and it's still going and it's um, yeah. I mean, it was everything like to be able to roll into that course and see the people that were playing and that knew your name and the characters that were associated with that place are still good friends of mine today. I, I mean, it's, you know, it's emotional to go back and think about, and that's a lot of what you're defining here in, in winter park nine and saving that. And up there and in these small towns, just down the road, 13 miles, there's another nine hole course. It's called Shoshone. And then there's another little nine hole golf course. There's three nine hole golf courses now within this um, probably 25 miles on interstate 90. <laughs> You know, and, and so this is the golf that I grew up in. These these nine hole venues, um, and that were small towns. That's miners, loggers, um, industry, and there's other obviously things that are going on there. But the characters that just love the game, and you would come in and play and have a couple beers, and like that was my childhood, and that was it's awesome. And to think about that not being there is is just mind boggling, right? So. This, this stuff is, is, is deeply rooted in, in, in passion. So you've got winter parks, you go out West, right. And now you have, you have Goat Hill Park and, and talk about what's happening there right now. Well, I started, you know, John Ashworth has been a friend of mine for, you know, 20 years now. And, you know, I grew up wearing Ashworth. So that's a whole nother story, but, and I've told it many times. I actually did a podcast on the, on Ashworth and the start of that company and what John means to the industry in general, from a fashion standpoint, but also sort of from this spiritual standpoint as a, a guy who, you know, he's, you know, I've never seen, I've said this all the time. I've never seen anybody walk the walk. <laughs> a lot of people talk and talk, right. You know, yeah. throw the game and you know, yeah, yeah. tag and here's what we do, you know, and then, and I, I was for And one of the great things about golf channel was it afforded me the opportunity to get around, 
keep meeting people, telling stories about things like Youth on Course. I remember when I stumbled into that, when they were redoing Poppy Hills, Robert Trent Jones Jr. was up there talking about being proud of being part of the NCGA and the pro- program and Youth on Course. What is that? Oh, kids play for $5 or less. What? <laughs> and now it's, here we are six, seven years later, and it's it's spread all over the country, into Canada. You know, it's going global. Awesome. One of the stories I did was John Ashworth saving Goat Hill Park. Mm. He grew up playing, just like you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, if Oakmont Golf Course, Bennett Valley Golf Course, where I grew up playing, you know, golf courses come up against you know, they, up, up against the ropes from time to time, they get on the wrong, like winter park nine, they get on the wrong side of maintenance management, you know, leadership, community, mm-hmm. for, you know, they get, they get going in the wrong direction. So how do you, how do you, how do you shift that narrative back going in the right? Well, John Ashford did that at Goat Hill park. Mm. It was going to be, go- it was going to be gone. He get the mm. last second. He rallied the community. They go to a city council meeting they say, you know, and that, that, that it was all supposed to be golf anyway, and that big billionaire was going to come in and churn it up and make it a stadium or a parking lots or soccer fields, whatever it was, it wasn't going to be a golf course. And Ashworth said no. And then, you know, as he says it best, he, he they gave him the keys and he went and came home to his wife and says, honey, you know, I bought a zoo. Like, no, shit, now, you know. We got it, but now what do we do? You know, <laughs> yeah. And and he and one thing led to that. And you know, you talk about Winter Park Nine. A lot of what I was seeing and doing there, or trying to do, was not a you know was following John's lead mm-hmm. of what he was doing out here. So when I came out here, and we literally drove my first drove the furniture truck across the country and boop it up, and we left. And my last round was at Winter Park Nine of Friday Skins, and I arrived for a Friday skins at, at, at Goat Hill park that afternoon, literally pulled the furniture truck in. We went and played skins, but that, that I'm just tapping in now into what John did. Like I'm here to help John and, uh, and, and amplify his message. The, the, cause this is truly Travis. This is the blueprint. Yep. This is, you know, he got it converted from potable to reclaimed water. He started a junior caddy academy. Uh, he, he talked to the, the Soliches, in which that was the first feature I ever did was the Solich Caddy Academy at a common ground in Denver. And, you know, George Solich, you know, flew in and, and talked to John about the caddy academy that they have, you know, which which helps subsidize kids to be caddies. And you as a as someone who takes a caddy only is paid pays them the tip, but they get money. It's kind of like youth on course model, but for caddy, for mm. junior caddies. So they're, that, they're subsidizing that, that cost. So you can take a caddy as long as you commit to sort of mentoring that kid, having conversations with that kid, that's, that's happening at Goat Hill Park. He took a side portion of land and, and had Gil Hans's guys come in because they were redoing the Callaway uh, practice facility. And one of the, their guys came over and shaped three holes that that's now a kid's course that kids play for free called the playground. He redid the driving range. He got in on a turf reduction, you know, incentivized program for California during the drought and got money to take turf out and redid the irrigation uh, system and all the agronomy there, uh, redid the driving, uh, you know, created a fire pit, music playing, no dress code, come as you are, come one, come all. People, I spend more time there, Travis, now not playing golf than playing golf. I bring my family up there on Fridays or Sunday afternoons. Baby Bannon is learning to play golf at 
Goat Hill Park at the playground. This is a community camaraderie. People like John Wardrop and, you know, uh, Will Crop, who went to Oklahoma, is now teaching kids there. Dave Emrick, Xander Shoffley's gotten involved. They started a wishbone brawl with Dean Wilson, who said we should do something more. I mean, Jeff Ogilvy has played there. Fred Couples has now played there. Yeah. Chris Riley lives in said Charlie Hoffman, Je- through John Ashworth, he is our guide. He's our leader. And we'd all take a bullet for him because he's given us so much a community connection point, a place where we can call home camaraderie, where we can feel safe, get away from all the bullshittery that's happening in the world today and just feel like we're a part of something that's normal, but special. Yeah. You know, that's it. Yeah. And that's, that's Pinehurst to a T like that was, as a youth growing up and being a part of that, people cared about the place. They cared about the kids coming in and, and keeping them. And cause golf wasn't that popular at the time. And, you know, it was tough to keep that course afloat and moving. We had a really good head pro who nurtured and did a lot of good things. And, you know, so it's just, it's such an important piece. And there's a, there's a golf course here now, just down the road from here. I was just there on Friday. It's called the yards here in Ponte Vedra. Oh, Love yeah, it. it's inside it's the gate. Yeah. And it's, it's nine holes. And then on the other side, you have three par threes and then another little beer loop par three. And that guy have- followed John's lead. That was yeah. going to be a link soul pro shot. Like I, I met with that guy and he met with John. Like that's another sort of, uh, you know, and they've, they've made their own version of it sure. but, and good for them. And it's fantastic. I was just there a couple of weeks ago. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Yeah. You know, uh, I think Billy Horschel plays in those skin games, skins games, and it's a it's a cool vibe. But this is happening. This is not. This is happening now, Travis. Yeah. This is this is real, and and uh, and I think there's nobody who isn't willing to share best practices, lessons learned to try to help. You know how many times I'm on the phone talking to somebody somewhere somewhere in the world who's trying to do something similar to what happened at WP nine or what, what's happened at Goat Hill park. Um, and, and, and John says this, and I say, you got to have someone local who's willing to sort of champion this vision, take it upon themselves to make sure that dots get connected, local leaders get involved, whether that's political or otherwise, and make this a, team effort because John will be the first one to tell you, you can't do it alone. You know, yeah. Laz, the superintendent, Fernie, the guy who who's out there in the dirt, you know, um, Sean, the kid who, you know, who's, who, who's, you know, Daniel, I mean, the list goes on and on the Laveo family. Uh, the girls now are grown up there. Now they're going to long beach state on scholarship to play golf. You're going to, this just keeps the lead yep. twins. Uh, you know, I can keep going on and on with how feel good this is. Yeah, it's a great story. And I know you've told that I'm sure a few times and I wanted to, you know, talk about that. And it kind of segues me into the game now. And like you said, these things are happening now because, you know, the sport means different things to different people. Everything you just said there with Goat Hill Park and Winter Park Nine, and I was saying with Pinehurst and even the yards now, as I spend some time there, it's, it is that community family, let your guard down. Um, don't have to be wearing a collared shirt, put a hoodie on, play music, smoke a cigar, you know, don't be an idiot, have respect, 
but it's a place to come and have some fun. And golf means different things to different people. I know when I left and I got out into the world, it was like, it was, you, you kind of sensed that golf was country club, right? And, and I think the country clubs and those atmospheres are, I love them and I'm a part of those. And I teach at Jacksonville Golf and Country Club in Pablo Creek, two terrific clubs and people and the whole bit. But golf is more than that. And I think even more than that in today's fabric in world and getting people into this game in a way that they don't want to be a part of those country clubs, whether they don't have the means or they do, but they just elect not to because they want to participate in the sport in a different way. They want to associate into the game in a different way, perhaps at one of these nine hole courses or top golf, um, or just hit some balls right down the range here. We have a little driving range, which is really starting to thrive now. Um, you can go out, have a couple beverages and watch your kid hit balls with TV and some sports. And you know, it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to, to interact with the sport. I just, I think that warms my heart more than anything now is to see all this happening with the sport that just goes well and beyond joining a club and playing 18 holes. Well, that, you know, that's again, we, and, and if you go back to now, it goes back to our time at, at golf channel. One of the first things I did off site was with Holly Saunders, our friend, Holly. Saunders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a whole nother <laughs> podcast and talk about breaking off and doing your own thing. My goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> But, um, but, um, yeah, I remember we went out to Texas and I want to say we were in Houston for one of the original top golfs and we went live from top golf there mm -hmm. and we were out there the day before and scouting out. And then we went live early morning and we were there all day. And then we ended up staying all day and we were shooting stuff all day. And it was my first kind of real immersive experience in top golf. And during the day, it was a family environment. And by night, and already the chatter was happening back then. This was 2013. The chatter was about golf is too hard, takes too long, you know, yeah. costs too much, you know, the the too much, too too much, too, the, all those yeah. things. And the tent poles had their had their radars up, like you know, oh, we got to do something about this. The USGA, PGA of America, they were like, oh boy, this is coming off of 2008. The game was really you know, in, in a, in a transitional state and a, and a look internally as to what it is that we're doing here. And I'll never forget. I, we left that night. Let's say it was midnight. It had transitioned from a family spot to a nightclub mm -hmm. music playing people rocking up, uh, uh, you know, beautiful people, you know, like wearing anything other than golf attire. Good guy. Right. I mean, from, you know, short skirts, long heels, uh, you know, uh, T-shirts, you know, come one, come all. Yeah. And and they were waiting four hours. Travis, the place was only open till, let's say, one in the morning or one thirty. And as we're leaving at twelve thirty at night, that people are still filing in. There was a four hour wait for a <laughs> stall, 110 stalls or whatever they had waiting four hours and I'm going, so golf doesn't have a problem with time because if people are willing to wait four hours to hit in time, golf has a time as, as an experience issue. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily that it takes too long. Like if you have six hours on the golf course, but you're at Pebble beach, 
it doesn't have a time problem. It, it, you know, you're having a great experience. You're paying $500 to have a $50,000 experience. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, as I'm walking out, that, that was the light pole moment. I'll never forget going, people are willing to drive in right now and queue up for four hours, knowing that they're never going to get a stall. They yeah. still want to be a part of the energy and the, and the, and the, 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 the party. I was like, the walls have come down. I yeah. never forget Holly Saunders. I actually met with the guy from Top Golf at that time, saying, "How can we buy into this?" Product? <laughs> right. I'm not. I'm not yeah. We yeah. were literally trying to say, "Can we be a part of this?" And that, would, to me, was the day. You know, and and Mike Kaiser building Bannon Preserve, and then Piners going to the cradle, and and yep. Johnny Morris investing in more. You know, and and the Champions Tour saying we're going to make top of the rock, a part of a competitive atmosphere, the Himalayas at old course, St. Andrews, then becoming a putting course at first, this'll do, which was a good attempt, but didn't work. And then the putting course now then going in at, at Bandon dunes, where I asked Mike Kaiser, I don't understand. You're creating a free product at a place where you charge, you know, 180, but whatever you charge to play golf, you're undermining your own business model. And he goes, yeah, I see your point. I, you know, you're right but I want people to come back. I want people to have a great experience. So if I, I need to make sure that if, if this adds to their experience and they're inclined to come back, that's my business. I can't have a business at Bandon Dunes where people come and check it off the list and never come back. And now we have mm. like basketball, like skiing, you know, if we go out and play basketball and we play one-on-one or two-on-two or horse or seven-up or, you know, we lower the rim and we play, we dunk and we, mm-hmm. you know, we like, it's still called basketball. In golf now, we can go do so many different things that look and feel like the game of golf. But in the old days, it would have never been considered golf because if you didn't play 18 holes and you didn't record your score, it wasn't golf. But now we can do so many things that are still called golf. And have it be short, fun, you know, uh, yeah. inclusive, affordable, fast. We've, we've, you know, we've yeah. cracked the code. Yeah, it's exciting. And it's well, I think you, you really summed it up nicely. And that's, I, I, I couldn't agree anymore, you know, and, and, and Top Golf, I think, helped us crack that code. There's no question breaking, about it. They, point. it, yeah, it, it major the breaking point. Yeah. rattled the cage and made people say, wow, yeah, that's, that's golf. You can go and, and from the fourth level, dribble it down off the thing and it rolls into a little thing and I still get a score and you get a and point I'm making right. progress and I feel good about myself again. What a concept, <laughs> you know, if skiing was only double diamonds, would everybody ski? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. It's, it's, you know, it's changing. It's, it's changing and it, it's fun. And, and someone who's been in the sport my whole life, I love it. Like I love these different ways to interact and experience the sport myself. Yeah. You know, and I'm coming from, you know, I love that side too. Like uh, we, you can love it all. Yeah. yeah you can love it all. I, I love that side. I think there's, there's, that's my point. Like there's so much there now for everyone and your point of, access to go and everything you were saying back earlier to feel comfortable, to feel part of a community, to feel welcome, to feel loved, to have a good time, to meet new friends, right? We're all different. And and that point of access and the range now that there is in golf, and I think it's just going to continue to go 
is a big reason why we're seeing the numbers the way they are. Now, COVID, the silver lining has been golf, and we've seen people come back to the sport with this. But I think for us to continue to grow and to keep these people in the game, this wide range of options to interact with the game, I think is has to be front and center. Has to be front and center. I said it all the all all the time. Nineteen ninety seven, Tiger Woods comes into the game. There's a huge tsunami of interest in golf, but we said no. We told people get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. Wear a collar. No music. Uh, do it this way. Don't do it that way. Uh, no fivesomes. Uh, you know, no, 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 no. And we 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 ran them all off. And then two thousand eight hit, and that was the low point. And then, you know, and build people were building ridiculous, stupid golf courses that were trying mm-hmm. to get a PGA tour venue or a U.S. open or a major championship. It, architecture was, was out of control in the, all the wrong ways, mm-hmm. shape and forms. And thank God for Mike Kaiser for saying, going the other way and saying, no, I want to build stuff for the masses. And I want, uh, you know, I want things to be playable. David Kidd bit in abandoned dunes, you know, with the, with Scottish golf in mind where the ball can move around on the ground and still make progress towards not unlike top golf. Remember dribble it down and still make progress without <laughs> having to take a drop or lose a ball. You know, right. that, that works. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and now here comes a global pandemic. And everybody's like, oh, my God, now what? Now, now how does golf get? And turns out green space, community, camaraderie, you know, health, wellness, walking, you know, uh, getting off our devices, getting away from the news and getting out with family and friends and and connecting. Yeah. Matters. It matters, Travis. Yeah. And that's, that was, that's Mike Kaiser. That's John Ashworth. That's these people who thank God they're around, you know, and, and doing what they're doing in leadership roles for, for people like us to benefit from and, and architects, you know, and, and for Keith and Riley to do what they did at WP nine, as Bill Court told them, just cause you know how to do it. Don't do it. Show restraint. The best architecture is, is more than anything is indicative of restraint. Mm. that you know it's not too much it's not too hard it's not too quirky it's not too ridiculous given modern day green speeds green speeds mm. you know there is a you know par, half side a uh, high side half pars you know par you know short par fours that you know that could be a long three but instead are a par four short par fives that could be a par four instead are listed as par fives give us opportunity to putt for birdie and 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 eagles instead of pars and bogeys yeah. That's good stuff, man. Yeah. That's where we are. Welcome to 2022. Yeah. It's exciting. Well, and and I want to finish with this as far as 2022. Um, as as I mentioned, Fire Pit Collective, your company, you've done a great job. You have a new initiative, new program coming out. And I want to, if you could give us just a little insight on on what to expect from a concept called the grind, right? New show, new series. Tell us about it. Well, their first, you know, Alan Shipnuck and I, uh, and, and Alex Upegi, Alex Upegi was my producer at golf channel for eight years, wherever I went, Alex went, we, you know, he would, he was my guy, right. You know, as you know, you're only as good as the people around you in TV. You need a good producer. You need a good editor. You need a good yep. shooter. You got, you got, you you know, 
you, if you don't have all those things, you, it doesn't matter what you're saying or how you're saying you need good audio. I mean, you get, there is, it is a true team effort to do anything relating to TV, telling a story. Yeah. You can't do it alone. In print, you can kind of do it alone. You go out, do your own reporting, you write your own story, you do your fact checking, boom, you send it out. Print I did for, you know, wrote stories for six and a half years for Golf Digest. I was a one-man band. I started doing my own videos and my own images, and I had background in photography at Sports Illustrated. So kind of building up this toolbox. Well, you get out to TV and you're like, you can't do it alone. Mm. And Alex Peggy and I sort of when I broke off from Golf Channel and and started feeling like I can do my own thing, tell my own travel stories, buddies trips, thought about bringing the ambush back, which I'd done for golf. I just telling stories about buddies trips. Alan Shipnick was going through some of the same sort of frustrations that I had had, which is inefficiency, go out for five days for golf channel, shoot for five days, sunrise to sunset and end up with a five minute piece on morning drive that some people would see most wouldn't. And all the left, I said, we'd kill a cow and only eat the filet. And it would drive me crazy because I knew what we had, mm. you know, and it would be edited by someone who didn't play golf or wasn't there on the shoot or, or multiple editors getting involved in one narrative. And it was like, ah, God, that really hurts my heart, hurts my soul. Mm. Again, love the opportunity, got nothing, you know, and it was a big machine and I get it. You know, I'm just a little piece of that, of that, of that puzzle. So there was only so much that they could do to appease me and my, my energy and passion. but it hurt, you know, it hurt, it hurt to know what wasn't going out when, and in in knowing that in this content crazed universe that we were wasting content. And so launched fire pit collective with an energy around efficiency. Shipnick comes on board because he's at the end of his rope with kind of having his stories killed or kind of overmanaged or mismanaged and, overproduced in a way that it was killing him because he's obviously an elite, elite member of the, the golf journalistic community with his writing and reporting and sensibilities and his tool set. We've always been great friends going back to Sports Illustrated days. Once we added Alan, it was like, then we started getting investors, building out a building out a vision. The first hire was Ryan French. Talk about mismanagement. PJ Tour was paying him like five thousand dollars a year to cover mid-level tour events. And he was building a huge brand and following around telling stories about people who sacrificed everything to try to play professionally. Hmm. And when we brought Monday him Q. That, Ryan French is Monday Q. Monday Q info. Right. Yeah. You know, For our um, audience. Yeah. And, and it was like, wow, what, what if we brought him on now? It's like my vertical was, was lifestyle. Alan's vertical is pro game. Ryan vertical, Ryan's vertical is dreamers. We added Laz Versailles in culture. We added Colt Nedler, who's just an incredible storyteller, helped work, build Eric Anders Lang's brand. And he's a great shooter, editor, a great golfer, loves the game as much as any of us do. And we started building this team and making this collective. And, and as Ryan was, was, was telling these stories about Hayden Springer and Nick Biondi and, and Chris Irwin and, and, um, and, then we hired Jordan Perez, who told a story about Gina Kim. It's like, if you look back at these stories, what's the common theme here? They're all dreamers. They're all pushing all in to try to make a living playing professional golf. And it crystallized for me at the end of the year when it was like, what if we take these stories and instead of just doing one-off features, 
we do a podcast around them. We we couple them other together as a, in, and, and package them and present them as a docu series, knowing where we're going with content. Where we love, look how we consume our information or storytelling in Netflix form or Amazon Prime, or we drill yeah. down and we we binge watch good stories. Well, that's the way we're going to do with this. We're going to call it the grind. It's going to be those types of stories in which we follow these these dreamers and the, and chronicle their sacrifices and try to get them more exposure, more eyeballs and more opportunities to play in events in which they can actually make money and make a and make a living playing the game they love. Mm-hmm. And where, what other industry, Travis? If you're a great chef, there's not limited number of restaurants where you can cook at and make a living, you know, creating good food, right? You're endless opportunities and you can always start your own restaurant. For some reason in golf, if you go out to work for a few days, you're not guaranteed a paycheck. You might go home losing money and you yeah. put it to work. You can shoot 62 on any given day, but you can't make a living playing golf. You're a master of your craft and you have maxed out seven credit cards and you could even, you can be finished top 10 on the Latin American tour and lose money. You can get, you know, advanced up in terms of status and lose money. It's not right. Yeah. So you didn't like this money then that was moved (laughs) to taking care of the top players then I would imagine. Oh my God. (laughs) The rich rich getting richer is somehow (laughs) You know, and I get it. I mean, they, 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 they're, they're elite. They're, they're, they're the top 0.02%. But not the, the, the top gun pilots aren't the only pilots that get paid to fly planes. Other pilots can still make a living playing the game. And, you know, and I was just on Jeff Ogilvie is an investor in our company. And well, now we're building up out a platform. He started the Sandbelt Invitational and a, a tournament in Australia for uh-huh. amateurs and pros, men and women all at the same time. Um, Peter Bessie, one of his partners and, and business correspondents down there who's helped him with this, said they just got off a meeting out of a meeting in which they're trying to figure out next year at the Sandbelt Invitational in which forget the one who wins makes more money. How about the one who finishes dead last makes more money? How can we take this and, and start making it go like this, where mm-hmm. the bottom actually makes more than the top? What a concept. Yeah. There's a lot there, you know, because on one side, like I, I think I have a, a, a soft spot for all these guys you're talking about and that Ryan French covers. Right. And there's a lot of interesting stories. I know a lot of these guys. I can remember when Russell Knox graduated Jacksonville U and he first started and he struggled and was playing the Hooters tour. And I remember watching him hit balls at Sawgrass. I'm just like, what? How does this guy, like, how does this, you know, and he would shoot, I mean, literally match, he would shoot 62 every single week on the Hooters store. Every single week, he'd have a 62 in his car every week. Now, eventually he got, he finally cracked and got, you know, now he's out there. Right. But there's for every Russell, there's 50, 75, a hundred, the other way that don't and, and are not maybe quite as talented Russell at that point, but close. I mean, they're, they're very talented. And so how do you, their stories are, are so interesting. Um, the sacrifice, the passion, the commitment, the work, everything that goes into this craft and how competitive it is and how much they have to deal with failure and 
no money and this and that. And I I'd love to see that some of that money come in there and, and obviously bolster this up a little bit and give them more of a platform to play for. But I also do see the other side and the threat at the highest level coming in from the SGL and the Saudis and throwing money at the big players and having to protect those names, the names that from a business standpoint that they, that they go and market to, right. And that they go and they lead with, they lead with speech. They lead with JT. They lead with John Rahm. They lead with tiger, right? These are the names that are going to, these are the PGA tour. They're going to play your tournament. They're going to, right. So I, I can see where they had to protect their assets, they had to protect their best players, throw some money their way. Um, but then I, I think now, yeah, how do you, how do you start bringing some money in underneath the corn ferry tour can become a little more of a lucrative place, um, on down now to some of these double a tours, if you were Latino Canadian, right. And then even some of these other Monday qualifiers and things like that. So there's, there's some work to be done on the bottom end for sure. And I think it'll be fascinating to see because let's face it, the corn ferry tour works. It works. There are tons of players that, you know, right now, household names that play the corn ferry tour. And there's a lot of guys that were even below that, you know, so we know it works. And now I think you have to, yeah, you have to make it a little more comfortable, cozier place, but Hey, I mean, look at baseball, right? I mean, these guys get paid double a single a, they're not making anything, you know, I mean, it's, 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 well, it's so, difficult. It's a difficult business model. Hold on. Hold on there for a second. So single A, double A baseball, Ryan French is great at explaining this. People tell him all the time, Oh, you know, these guys, uh, that, you know, the, yeah, that's the way it goes, man. You know, you got to sacrifice. You got to yeah. hold on. Right. Single A baseball. Yeah. They go stay in shitty hotels and eat at shitty restaurants and, you know, get the, the small rental cars or in, in ride and broken down buses and, but they're not paying for that. That's, that's covered. Yeah. That's not coming out of pocket. That's still being paid for. They still get equipment, uniforms. They still get, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe they get 25 bucks, you know, uh, per diem to eat, but they're not losing 25 bucks. They're not going backwards to do their job at this, at the single a level of golf. They're seven credit cards. They're they're taking loans from friends. They're they're guaranteeing portions of their winnings for three to five years. I mean, look Mm. at Tony. You know, look at the mess these some of these guys are in because they're vulnerable. On the women's Symmetra tour, these girls are vulnerable out there. They're staying in houses that people say, "Oh, come in," and then they're scared because who are these people? These are strangers letting in young vulnerable females into their houses. I mean, we're going to uncover all of this. We are going to shine a light and expose and create more opportunities for this level of golfer, because not only is it feel good to do, to have an impact on, on the world we live in uh, through the game of golf, but it's the, it's the right thing. It's, 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 it's the right thing to do. It's called the grind. And it's the, and it's, and the story we're storytellers. We are a, yeah. a, a company of storytellers. We are chasing stories mm. and these stories are worth the chase. And just like the, the pro golf is worth the chase. I mean, right. And you're going to maximize it. It's not going to yeah. be just five minutes, right? You're going to, oh, no. you're going to share all, well, all of it. If, if not, all and, of it. and it's going to kill the cow mentality. So 
Yeah. If we're going to go out and spend all this time with these people, yes, there's going to be podcasts, digital shorts, uh, you know, uh, long form 10 to 20 minute episodes on each one of these, you know, we're layering in experts, you know, and, and analysis from people who have made it or didn't make it. You know, Michael Sims won the North South, didn't make it incredible player. <laughs> uh, like one of the, like you, you play with Michael Sims and you're like, this guy didn't make That's it. Amazing. Even yeah. Wallace won the West of Ireland, uh, you know, incredible can shoot 62 on any given day on any given course. Didn't make it. Uh-huh. Why? What, what would he have done differently? We're going to hear from him throughout multiple episodes. Lucas Glover did make it. Jeff Ogilvie did make it. We're going to hear from them. You know, people like yourself, I'd love to have you come on and weigh in on people changing swings or not changing swings, changing equipment because they're vulnerable. They chase the $50,000 deal that's going to cost them $5 million in earnings. Mm. But they're vulnerable. They, they have to have that money. Yeah. I can't wait to watch it, buddy. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. I can't wait to watch like all of it. You know, you're not going to just, it's not going to be bits and pieces. There's going to be a lot of it. It's called the grind. It's going to be on fire pit. I mean, like give us a, give us a date. What, when? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we're, we're banking. We've been banking stuff. We, we dropped a a lot of features last year that we'll incorporate into the season one with updates and and Hayden Springer, you know, daughter trisomy 18 he and his wife dealing with a, a baby who has a disease who essentially fights life mm. qualified for the u.s open now has status on the latin american tour we're not you know um john murphy's playing the at&t you're going to find out mark baldwin uh has got a got a sponsor's exemption to at&t this week we're following mark baldwin he's 38 matt picanso uh is a guy who's who's you know sort of late to the party he's won over 50 mini tour events and uh, is now, you know, grinding out there. Monday Q has a little status. Uh, you know, Colin Featherstone took some time off, worked at Titleist, coming back to the professional game. He plays out of Goat Hill Park. Will Crop played at Oklahoma. He's coming back. You know, he just played in the Wishbone Brawl, an incredible player. You know, that <laughs> shoots 10 under at Goat Hill Park, par 65, with Persimmons, breaks Colin Featherstone's course record, 9 under. These guys are world beaters. <laughs> You know, and they just need op- options and opportunities. Uh, yeah. And the, and 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 we've got you know a list of twenty five players that we dropped today on the grid. Eight of them are women, seventeen mm-hmm. are men. But you know, Drew Love. Everybody gives Drew Love a hard time. He's got a lot of special opportunities by being the son of Davis Love. But you know, do you really know Drew Love? Is he a grinder? You know, uh, do, you know. Have you taken the time to actually get to know and what it's like to live in the shadow of a, of a Hall of Fame? I don't know. Yeah, he does. We're going to share that story. Yeah. Be awesome, man. Exciting. I can't wait to see it. Christina Kim, 20 years on the LPGA tour grinding to keep her card. 20 years. Is she rich? I don't know. We're going to find out 20 years on the LPGA tour, you know, going tournament to tournament. What's that like? How, how, you know, how much talk about baggage on your mind and your soul, you know, making and missing cuts, making and missing putts. Solheim Cup. She played in the Solheim too. Gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. It is gnarly. You see what the sport does to the players at the highest level that have the most amount of skill. You see the this what happened to Spieth. And like then you go down and you know, okay, now you're down to where there's Justin Rose, Adam Scott, Ernie L, like coming and going. Yeah. making and missing, yeah. you know, winning and losing. 
Michael Campbell. That's another one you should look at. Michael Campbell. Um, I just saw he won an event in Australia. Um, it's That's endless. It. Travis. Yeah, Michael endless. Campbell, U.S. Open winner, right? I know. Where, where is he? Hey, he's still playing golf. He just won an event, small event in Australia. I, I think of the guy who was the guy who won the players championship chipped in, chipped in and chipped in. didn't like hit a putt the last three holes works in TV broadcast. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but um, after he won the players, he decided to overhaul his whole swing. Yeah. Craig <laughs> Perks. Craig Perks. Yeah. After, after he wins the players champion. Okay. Yeah. This is my opportunity. I got a little stat. I got some, I got some runway. I'm going to overhaul my whole thing. Never seen, n- never heard from again. Yeah. Craig Perks. Yeah. You know, Tony Finau, I saw, he told, I played with Tony Finau and Kalena Pruce. Kalena Pruce, big star in Hawaii, went to Texas, overhauled his whole swing, lost his confidence, you know, good friends with Bo Hostler, you know, played, uh, played on that team and lost his way. And I played with Tony Finau and, and Kalena Pruce for nine holes in, in, in Hawaii one, one Christmas just happened. You know, I knew, I know Kalena and Tony Finau was there and, and, we all three of us went out and played golf and Tony Finau said something that I'll never forget. He said, never he told Kalena, dude, go back, go back to, to the game that got you to Texas. Mm. Go back to the swing that got you to one of the best golf schools in the country, in the world. Why would you change that? Yeah. Never change something in your swing that you can't incorporate into your game in 15 minutes. That was Finau's advice to Kalena Pruce. And you know what? Kalena Pruce went back and started playing good golf again. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of those stories. I could, I could, I could stuff you a lot. I could stuff you full a lot of those stories, Pat. I mean, of the, you know, just like straight from a straight technique standpoint, like we're, you know, just he was here or she was here. And then this happened technique wise. And right now some battle, some can chip away back up, but there's, there's been a lot that did. Um, I mean, just uh, like, I know, you know, heart, heart wrenching kind of stuff from a, just from a technique standpoint that I got you there. I, Dr. Brett McCabe, who's does a lot of stuff with the podcast and we, we, we talk quite a bit and he, he just said something to me one time. He goes, you know, I, I, I find myself telling players all the time. He's like, you're, you're good enough is good enough. You're good enough is good enough. Like you're good enough. Just, just be you, be you, you know, like just be you believe in what you do, right? You can have incremental change in this and that, but you're good enough as good enough. You don't, you're not missing anything. You know, there's not this up here where you're going to grab it. Oh, I got it. And now I'm, you know, I'm the number one player in the world. Good enough is good enough. Like that, well, that was like, damn. Swing your swing. Head home. Home. Yeah. Jim Furyk, look at, you know, you got to tip your hat to Jim Furyk. Oh. Is he a world beater? Yeah. With that, and, you know, and, 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 and Matthew Wolf coming out, like look at what Matthew Wolf's going through right now, you know, and, and, and you got to, you got to, uh, the more I see all these stories, the more you respect Jim Furyk for doing it his way. Right. Like he never deviated his dad was his coach you know what i mean like you know i mean wow yep for him i watch him all the time back of the range of pablo him and his dad characters dad's a character 
And he's back there banging the ball against the flag stick. Like every 15th ball, it's intimidating. I'm like, Jim, are you kidding me? You've hit that flag stick from 60 yards, like four times. I mean, it's, oh my God, how do you do that? You know, I mean, you know incredible whoa, skill. And around, yeah. I mean, you know, he looks like he's fly fishing. Yeah. Radar. Absolute radar. Knows where it's going, knows how far it's going. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy sport. What if Fred Funk yep. chased distance? You know, Fred Funk hit every fairway, hit the green, and if he got hot putt, hot putting, he's in. Corey Connors, you know, ball striker. Yep. Oh, you know, if I can putt, I'll contend. So stay focused on that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, and we could talk forever. Like it's, you know, we talk on the podcast. I bring in all the coaches, and it's they're always the top podcast because the ones that share really stuff like this is what we're doing. And it's always interesting to catch up with them. But one of the things that's always out there and and some of them bring it up and we talk about it is you look at the stats and it's like, okay, you're doing this well, you're doing this well. And then, Oh, okay. Gosh, this part of our game is not very good. And this part's okay. So it's like, well, let's go after our weakness. Let's go after and make that really good. Okay. You go after that. But then do you neglect and start losing some of your other strengths? Like that's a tough balance. Bryson's a good example. Bryson's dominating off the tee. He went after it. You want to talk about wholesale changes. My goodness, his golf swing's like, it's not even close to what it was. Well, he's just a whole different yeah. animal. Anyway. He's a whole different animal. But, but his wedge game, his approach wedge game is worse. Yeah. You know, like his approach game, it's get, I mean, where are we there? So it's like, I, I think, is this going to, in the end, is this going to be a good thing for Bryson? I think we'll have to wait and see. The U.S. Open win certainly is a big mark, but some of the other parts of his game, he's definitely neglected. I think he would tell you that because he's going after, look, I'm making strength my distance. I'm making, I'm going to overpower. I'm going to overpower. I'm going to overpower. And I'm a great putter and, and I'll fit the other ones in as, as needed. Dustin Johnson didn't get great. You know, as I know, you know, until he started working on his wedges, until he started dialing in those wedges. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't number one caliber. If Bryson becomes a top third wedge player, they're in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, but is that going to happen? I don't know. When are we going to see him posting videos of him working on his wedge game? Thank you. I say that all the time out here. Thank you. What? What? <laughs> like, you know, if I see him like with his shirt off and sweaty yeah. and you know, like grinding, you know, on his yeah. wedge game, better look out. That's what I, I say all the time. Like, show me. I tweeted it, Bryson. Dude, tweet Zach, something other than your driver. Zach Johnson. Do you think Bryson would change careers with Zach Johnson right now? <laughs> no. Would Zach Johnson trade careers with Bryson DeChambeau? Hell no. Mm, I think he would. Hell no. Zach well, Johnson I mean, would trade Zach careers Johnson's with won, Bryson what is Zach? DeChambeau? Zach's won huh? two majors in what, eight wins? Somewhere in there? No, like 12 wins. Is it 12? Is that many? I think All it right. is. I mean, he's right. he's borderline. I mean, he and and he's won at Augusta and the and and oh, I know. And the old but, but Bryson's Bryson's Best golf's ahead. He's got a major. He's gonna Bryson's gonna have as many wins as Zach. Question is, does he have more majors? That's gonna be the question. I mean, it's just, but it's also just like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't well now you got me thinking about Zach Johnson. All right, so hold on. Damn, he does got 12 wins. Nice work. Damn, I, that's 12 wins, two majors. What an absolute 
What a legend. Overachiever. Zach Johnson. I mean, my goodness. Zach Johnson. Didn't he, not, he didn't even make his high school team or something, right? Like, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, he's like, he's ridiculous. Wow. I think I would still, I would, man, as, as dominant as he is off the tee. And his putting is great. He's a top 10 putter in the world. Top, you know, 20 at least. I mean, you just dial in the wedges a little, a little, which can't be that much with his skill. Like, I'm telling you, he'll be, it'd be silly. It's going to be silly. Um, All right. I, I got to shut I, this I, off. I'm telling you, I'm going to, um, I'm going to, you're going to be a part of this grind. Um, I, I, if, if, if you're interested, um, I'd love for you to be, you know, I'd love for you to be, um, yeah, man. 